Hey everybody, and welcome to our next issue of Magical Musings. Uh, I'm Joy, one of your hosts, and on the other end of the line we have Brian, as always. Hello. Hey, so tonight's episode, we have episode 23. Uh, this one is going to be on terminology that you may or may not be familiar with. Uh, it's not going to cover things like the, the basic terminology, the 101 terminology, like Coven and Wicca and things like that. But stuff that you'll hear some of the elders speaking about that you may or may not know what it is. Uh, this is going to be, be a rundown through that. It's not going to be comprehensive at all. We're not uh, going to be the be-all, end-all. So, as always, you know, look this up for yourself uh, and try to come up with your own definition. Okay? So grab your cookies, milk, tea, cupcakes, whatever it is you drink and eat, and sit down. We're going to be doing this for the next two hours. It's true. Yeah, because, I mean, you know, we always talk for two hours. We, we can talk Roughly. the heck for two hours. <laughs> yes, and if we allow ourselves to go tangent hunting, we can go forever. Oh, Lord. We've honestly we uh, when the show started uh, back with Tarot Talk, we usually only let us have ourselves have an hour for side discussions and tangents and stuff, and it just never was long enough. I didn't. It's think. true. <laughs> it felt very cramped trying to you know squish all the really interesting stuff that right was into related that one to hour. Tarot at the time. <laughs> Everything still relates to Tarot somehow. It does. It all it all comes together in the end. All right, so like I said, um, the, the issue tonight is uh, pagan terminology. Now, what we mean by that is there are a lot of specialized terms that are going to be kicked about in pagan cir circles, in groups, in study groups, in other things like this uh, that you're going to come into contact with. Um, there are a lot of dictionaries out there. There's a lot of pagan glossaries out there that have these definitions and break them down and give them to you again. Uh, we're going to try to hit the basics of these uh, definitions just to give you a functioning knowledge as to what the hell is being talked about around you. Okay? It's true. Because uh, I don't know about y'all, but uh, the first time I walked into a, pay, a Wiccan 101 group and they started talking about the Labyrinths and the, uh, the the Akashic Record and, you know, talking about the the um, cruniform things, and I'm like, what the hell are they saying? So, it's true. Right. I mean, if, if you're getting into, like, some of the Wicca 101 classes that I've heard of, you're getting into a lot of, like, pagan history, you know, that, I mean, it'll cover a broad range of topics, you mm -hmm. know, over thousands of years, so. Yeah, and this is not only pulling from um, modern-day Wicca as it uh, came to us from Gardner through Buckland and into Civil League and all the others uh, in America, but this is also pulling upon Celtic knowledge. This is pulling upon Sanskrit this is pulling upon alchemy. This is pulling mm. upon Japanese uh, terminology. This is pulling upon, you know, all kinds of different related fields. So all of that gets mixed into it. It can be really confusing if they start talking in jargon. And it's almost like its own secret language. I mean, really. Yeah, amazing how the, the occult sciences have their own hidden language. Hmm. Ooh. Ooh. Okay, so the first term we're going to talk about is Akasha, A-K-A-S-H-A. Um, you're going to hear this occasionally, and the most common 
way you're going to hear it is the Akashic Record. Uh, what the Akasha is, is the spirit, in basic. It is the theory of the fifth element. We have air, earth, fire, and water. Uh, the fifth element is usually related to, is usually put to either mind or spirit or soul or something along those lines. It is the... Um, it's the quintessence of, of every being. It's, it's like the amalgamation of all four elements plus the animating force behind them that creates life within absolutely a thing. Yes, that is it. And this is the, the willpower behind all of the spells and everything. So, yeah. Um, the Akashic and if Record... You... Okay, go ahead. Sorry, it was just occurring to me that there's a cultural reference in the movie called The Fifth Element that, you know, Jeez. involves a ritual of that nature. So. Yes. <laughs> Who would have thought uh, The Fifth Element having something to do with The Fifth Element in there? Um <laughs> And the chick was the Christed figure, too, so... Oh, man, she was Ultimately so pretty. cool. I loved Mila in that movie. She was just so wonderful. Anyway, um, but like I said... <laughs> the, Tangents. Uh, the, the, the terms that you're going to hear uh, bandied about most uh, are the Akashic Record. The Akashic Record comes out of Jungian archetypes and New Age mysticism, Okay. The idea is that there are two records that uh, are not part of what we can easily get to. There's the unconscious record, the, the unified unconscious field that Jung talked about, which goes back as far as the oldest living human. Uh, that is a compilation of everything that is known by everybody living at that time. The Akashic Record, like I said, was brought through from New Age mysticism. It is supposedly a record storehouse of all knowledge since the beginning of everything. And if you go through this quite long and involved thing, astral projection, <coughs> um, you, can, <coughs> you can access that record and look up information that you need to know. Okay. And there's tons of books that will talk about how to access the Akashic Record and all that stuff. So if it's something that in your practice, you know, you haven't really heard a lot about, but you kind of feel drawn to it, um, do take a few steps and look into it. I mean, mm -hmm. don't be afraid to expand your practice. Oh, no. I mean, nobody's there's there's no Wiccan police or pagan police that are going to come out and take away your your pagan practicing card uh, for pulling in elements of other faith paths into what you're doing. Uh, if that were the case, none of us would have pagan cards. <laughs> so, True. Anyway, moving on. Amulet. Uh, an amulet is essentially a thing that you empower with a spell. Okay. Um, most amulets are set up to deflect energies, uh, to um, shield you, to protect you. Uh, a lot of amulets are also set up to draw certain things to you, but it is an object, usually something that you wear or you keep on you all the time, most likely a pendant that has a set spell on it that always works. Now, interestingly <coughs> enough... The pendant itself that every that the spell is put on is called a fetish. Okay, that is that, that's just the object without the spell. When the spell goes onto it, it becomes an amulet. Okay? 
Um. <laughs> um, it occurs to me too that um, I want to interject another term in there, um, kind of the broad base definition of alchemy for people, so that they can um, kind of have an idea of what the whole idea is. Um, they've probably heard the term a lot, but it comes from the Arabic term al-chem, which means from Egypt. And the whole idea of what most people know about alchemy is the idea of transmuting base metals like lead into pure gold. Um, which is not what they were trying to do. Well, no, it's it's not even close to what they were trying to do. I mean, the whole of it is fascinating stuff we'll get into later on in different terminology. Yeah, the, the lead into gold myth uh, was perpetrated by the alchemists themselves to disguise what they were actually doing. It wasn't transmuting actual lead like you have the weights on the tires into actual gold like is in the jewelry. It is changing the base metal of the person into the gold of the spirit. Exactly. And I mean, the idea of having that physical transmutation gave them the idea or the, the option of kind of scamming rich people into <laughs> supporting their work yes. by giving them a laboratory and you know expensive equipment and years of free rent and all this kind of stuff it was a very convoluted sort of well thought out scheme <laughs> that allowed them to basically do spiritual work in the guise of you know trying to make their benefactor wealthy and the people that didn't do the uh, spiritual quest along with the physical processes wound up be becoming chemists. And that's where you get the discipline of chemistry from. All of that went straight into chemistry. It's true. Mm, it is. It's great. Okay, uh, next is anima and the animus. Or animus. An animus is anything that has a spirit in it. Okay. Uh, and you hear animistic practice sometimes. That is because it is worshiping the spirit of a thing. All right. Now, humans have animuses. Animals have animuses. Plants have an animus. Uh, rocks and trees have animuses. The dirt and locations have an animus, too. This is um, where you get a lot of practice coming in from Shinto. Um, where they honor the spirits and the deities of places. This is exactly why it's called uh, an animistic um, faith path, instead of being, you know, worshiping animals. The animus is the spirit that they're worshiping. Okay? Um, Asperger. Okay, this is uh, one of the tools that we didn't talk about that is really used in Western religion. Um, it sounds like a mental problem where people don't understand when you're joking when you're joking. Uh, actually, what this is is a little ball on the end of a, of a, of a wand that you dip into holy water and you sling this, wa this holy water all over a mass of people. Okay? The asperger is what you are slinging the water with. What you have is you have a stick that is connected to a hollow ball with lots of holes in it. Inside the hollow ball is a sponge. You dunk this, the, the sponge end into the water, it soaks up the holy water, and then you sprinkle it all over the masses that are around. All right. In different religions, um, it can usually be a, like a, a bunch of branches or twigs or whatever, so that you have kind of 
like or a bundle of herbs, say, that you can dip into. Um, in Ausatru, it, it tends to be a blood thing mm-hmm. um, or mead where they'll dip it in splatter. Um, you see it in Beowulf and Grendel, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's the same idea. It's just a precursor to the you know, medieval style of, you know, magical stick with the sprinkly end on it. <laughs> um, there was a, a time when I went to a, a real witch's ball in Columbus, Ohio, and Lisa McShee, who I'm trying to get on the show, uh, came and I gave a class on energy work. It was a four-hour forum on working with energy. Before we even started, I used an asperger that I made like ten minutes previous out of a pine, out of a pine stick and a whole bunch of green pine needles that I wrapped up with thread and tied off very tightly. I had a cauldron with some water in it. We did the ritual blessing of the water. I dunked the little sprinkly ends of the, the pine needle. It looked like a little broom. And I used that to sling water all over the place. It was great. <laughs> it's true. Asperger's don't really need to be like complex or expensive. I mean, even... See, see our show on the tools. They can be anything... <laughs> I mean, you can use your fingers if you have nothing else. And that's what what is... It's not as theatrical or dramatic, but, you know, whatever. There's a lot of uh, circles that actually do do that. I mean, I know that some of the... Many of the circles that I went to, they didn't have uh, a ritual sprinkler like that. So the high priestess would be taking around the bowl of consecrated water and sprinkling it with her fingers, just flicking it, like you do when you just wash your hands, uh, around the perimeter of the circle. And that's perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, astral. If you don't know this term after listening to this show, shame on you. Uh, I talk about it all the time. Astral is all the places that are not here. Um, when you're talking about the astral plane, normally what you're speaking of is the higher planes, the mathematics planes, the uh, ethereal plane where the angels dwell, uh, the lower planes where the demons are and everything like that. Anything that is a physical plane that you can physically get to is a, I would call it a prime material plane, but that's a term out of D&D. Um, it's, it's a physical realm, okay? All the other places that are not physical realms are collectively known as the astral plane, okay? This comes from, I believe, a Sanskrit word, that means the spirit, kind of like the Akasha, okay? <laughs> it's possible. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Balefire, B-A-L-E-F-I-R-E, Balefire. What this is, it's the same thing as a bonfire. It's actually what a bonfire turned into. It is a magical fire that's a very big one that is celebrated around. You want to put the energy of fire into something? Here you go. You want a bale fire. Um, it's, you traditionally use it on any of the greater Sabbaths, um, sometimes on the lesser Sabbaths, not so much really on the Esbets and the full moon rituals, but you can have them, okay? Um, any ancestor worship that you have with a bone fire, that's also a bale fire. The bale implies a magical connection with it, Okay. Um, I do know that in some Celtic, uh, in one of the Celtic rituals, that two bale fires would be lit, probably about 10, 15 feet away from each other, 
and cattle would be driven between them to cleanse them of all the impurities that they had uh, for the coming season. I think that was a Mayday thing, primarily. Um, also, yeah, I believe so. I think it was Beltania. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Same thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's basically the idea. It was to... It, like in the Christian era, it became the notion of um, kind of driving away the demons from, you know, of sickness and things like that that your cattle might be faced with through the course of the year. So it was a way to cleanse and purify your animals so that they wouldn't get sick and nobody would die from them. Yeah, and that was always one of the things that just confused the living shit out of me. The accusations that witches caused sickness and caused the crops to fail and cause the cattle to sicken and not give milk. I was always like, hello, they're members of the community too. They need those resources too. They'll starve just as fast as you will. Why the fuck would they do that? <laughs> well, and I, I think part of the problem too is that nobody really understood the whole concept of disease in itself. I mean, they didn't understand that fleas were a big reason that things were being spread around and well you know, that they understood didn't... i mean i'm just saying that, you know the the logic path there okay she's gonna die well yeah <laughs> obviously That's... she's gonna like shit in the same cereal that she's eating that everyone else is why wouldn't you i mean talk about you know counterproductive measures you know yes i'm going <clears> to <throat> curse you and all of your stuff is going to die and your crops are going to fail nobody else's is and I'm going to tell everybody that I'm cursing you so that when your stuff does die, they'll naturally come looking at me. <laughs> well, it. and the weird thing is, I mean, if you look at comparative sort of magical practices around the world, I mean, in general, Western magic doesn't involve telling people that you're cursing them as much as, you know, doing it in secret and, you know, working the, the hex on them behind the scenes whereas in a lot of other cultures they (laughs) go bam you're cursed and then you know basically the power of suggestion you know it doesn't matter what they do and they're like oh my god i'm gonna die now (laughs) yeah pretty much okay next word on our list here is beastie um this is kind of an archaic word it basically means an animal um now it can mean in archaic um old english uh small house spirits or entities these are usually very simple uh which is why they act beast-like and are thus called beasties um fair enough yeah i mean it's 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 not something that you know is that difficult uh bce is that why the beastie boys were called what they were (laughs) maybe i don't know (laughs) i never asked them that's the reason. I knew it. I, I knew, knew there it. was a reason for that. <laughs> okay. They were... <laughs> anyway. All right. B-C-E. B-C-E. Bravo, uh, Charlie Echo. And C-E. Charlie Echo. Okay. Um, Cat Echo, uh, whatever. These two terms are, have, been, have been trying to be used by modern-day pagans to replace A.D. and... Um, BC. BC. Okay. BCE is before common era. Okay. A, uh, CE is common era. Um, AD and BC are terminologies that are related specifically to Christianity. 
because it's the event of Jesus' birth and everything before that is before Christ and everything after that is after death. Anno and, Domini, in the yeah, year of our Lord. In the year of our Lord. But because there are so many other cultures now that we're actually interacting with and trying to compile histories with, it became easier for the scholastic community to use before Common Era and Common Era in, to replace those for the people like, because, so that the Muslims aren't going like, B.C., who's he? You know? Well, you have to remember, too, that this was devised in a time when all roads led to Rome, and nowadays, not every road leads to Rome. True. Okay, um, Bessem. Uh, B-E-S-O-M, Bessem. Uh, this is a broom. It's another term for a broom. It's specifically a magical broom, one that's used in ritual. Uh, the little asperger that I made could probably refer, be referred to as a mini-besom, uh, because it was. Um, but these are for things like leaping over them while you're taking your marriage vows, um, for fertility, uh, for cleaning a house, um, a, a magical broom. Yes, you could probably write it too. Actually, it's interesting, too, because Lori Cabot, um, back in the 80s, used to do public rituals um, to bring rain during dry times of the year. And that was one of the things that they actually did with the audience, was to take the besoms and, like, splash water around to hmm. sort of mimic rain. Um, but generally, besoms or besoms, depending on your tradition, um are used as a spiritual cleansing tool. Um, mm -hmm. Gardner and probably the Sanders um, tended to use them as one of the formal tools of their rituals, but not every tradition does use them. Ceremonial magic does have them, um, <clears throat> according to the Key of Solomon. Um, they're... Mostly, most of the, the witchcraft traditions, as opposed to the Wiccan traditions, use them as a, a, a place cleansing tool. Because let's face it, there's no better thing to clean your house with than a broom. That's true. <laughs> and, I mean, the, the funny thing is the way they're made, right? Like, the traditional besom is made of, like, birch twigs and, you know, willow withs that are tying the branches on and an ash stick and i mean all of these things have specific significance plus if you have particular traditions they actually hide a phallic shaped carving within the like the bristles of the broom mm -hmm. and they don't physically sweep as well as you might think that a broom would but i guess in you know in the era when this was the common style of broom. It probably didn't matter because well, you, you had you, a dirt floor. Well, yeah, because, I mean, when you first started using it, yes, it was stiff, and yes, it was all whatever, and you couldn't sweep anything with it because it's branches and sticks. But uh, over time, as it got used, the fibers got broken up, and they separated, and then they became a lot softer. Um, I've got uh, a book called um, Back to Basics by Reader's Digest. Came out. Such a great book. It is a wonderful book, but they've got directions in there for making like six different types of brooms along with a corncob mop. And I was like, oh, wow. If I can find those instructions, I'll put them up. But, uh, yeah, they were great. 
Uh, you could stitch them. You could just bind them by hand. You could use broom corn. You could use barley corn. You could use, you know, all these other things. <laughs> is wow. it weird that mine is sitting right at the top of one of my bookshelves right now? <laughs> <laughs> I would have mine near me, but it's in storage right now. So. I'm going to look that up. Um, it's, it's, brooms. it's in there. This book is so freaking cool. It really is. It really is. If you ever get, if you ever want to do a back to basics type of thing, uh, get back to nature, get out of the urban rat race, get this book. It's 20 years out of date, but everything in it is old skills anyway, so you're going to yeah. need all of it. It's uh, actually pretty cool. Um, yeah, it teaches you how to plow, how to pick livestock, how to uh, do metal work with a forge. How to, how to plant dye crops, cloth, you know, uh, scrimshaw. There's a there's a there's two pages on <laughs> yes. scrimshaw, and there's um, there's things about games and folk dancing and how you to know, make your own make, candles out of rendered tallow. I mean, come on, how cool is this? It really is pretty cool. Um, yeah, there's there's a few pages on the broom corn birch and corn shucks. Yes, and corn such. shucks is the mop. Basically, Strangely enough, a... scrimshaw's right after that. <laughs> Basically, with the mop, what you do is you take the corn shucks that you pulled off the ears of corn, you save all of them until you've got like 30 or 40 of them. You take a board that's probably about 3 inches by 8 inches wide. You drill holes. You shove the corn stalks through there. You attach a handle. When you get it wet, now you've got a mop. It's funny because that's actually like on the bottom of the second page of that. It talks about all the broom corn and beating out the seeds so that your scotch broom doesn't like leave seeds all over your floor. But it shows uh, you how to carve a broom. You take a branch, you slice very carefully all the way down, and you fold it all back, and then you slice off the rest on the handle. I'm like, thinking you've probably like worn out your copy, haven't you? Can you t well, I was bored when I was a kid, and I would take it up I to my bedroom, it. and I would read it cover to cover. And I'm talking read, not – That's weird because that's what I used to do with that. And I bought it because I actually borrowed it too many times from the library. I was like, I should probably just own it instead because <laughs> like, I would sign it out from the library, and I would keep it too long and then end up running up fees. And I was like, you know what? No. I'll and you'd buy bring one. it back, and nobody would uh, check it back out, and you'd be well, the next exactly. one to check it out. <laughs> and it was it was during a kick in my mid to late teens too, where I was into homesteading and all that kind of stuff. So this was only one of the many books that I sort of looked at and thoroughly read. Mm. That and the Complete Walker. The Complete Walker. Yes, W A L K E R by Colin Fletcher. It's a 20-year-old book. He came out with the first one in the early 70s. The next one in like 80... No, 79. Um, the third one in 84. And the most recent, which is the fourth revision he came out with in like 1993. But it is the, the Backpacker's Bible, essentially. Interesting. Yeah, it's a great book. Anyway, getting back to <laughs> Sorry, tangents as as we warned you. Hmm. Um, but yeah, this book will tell you how to churn butter and make cheese and all kinds of crazy stuff if you want to do it. Oh, it's great. It really it shows you how to forge a chain, and I'm like, wow. From, 
from, It'll from make... nothing. You get the iron ore out of the ground. You, it tells you how to smelt it into the bar stock. You then take the bar stock and turn it into rod stock. It shows you how to do that, too. And then you take the rod stock and you twist it and make chain out of it. And then you have your own andirons for your uh, homestead <laughs> um, fireplace that you made. <laughs> Never mind sad irons when you need them and, and all sorts of crazy. But, I mean, to put it in pagan terms, learning to blacksmith would also allow you to make your own, like, athames and, you know, other knickknacks and trinkets. Oh, yes. All right. Next term is Beyond the Veil. Uh, this one is exactly what it sounds like. This is Beyond the Veil of the Physical World. It is theorized that we have the here and the now that we see and that all the spiritual realms, all the astral realms, are beyond a wall of forgetfulness or something. It is something that we cannot take our physical bodies past, and when we're born into this body, it wipes our brain uh, so that we start off fresh and don't remember everything on the other side. Well, everything on the other side is beyond the veil. So the gods are beyond the veil, the other worlds are beyond the veil, the elves are beyond the veil, prayers go beyond the veil. There you go. <laughs> it's true. Biorhythm and circadian rhythm. Uh, these two are kind of confused with each other. They're actually two different things. Circadian rhythms are the rhythms that you live with the natural cycles of things. The sun up, sun down, the moonrise, moonset, the tides, uh, the winds, the um, rhythms of the seasons changing. Those are circadian rhythms, okay? It's one of the things that if your circadian rhythms are off, you have jet lag because you went to another country and your time sense is just all screwed up and you're sleeping during the day and you're awake all night. The biorhythms, on the other hand, uh, came out of New Age investigations and uh, scientific investigations that say that when you are born, you start at zero on the physical, mental, and uh, emotional um, scales. And these move in sine waves throughout your entire lifetime. They move on different sets of patterns, though. And um, depending upon whether those biorhythms are low or those biorhythms are high, depends on what kind of mood you're going to be in, whether you'll be able to ace an exam, uh, whether you'll be able to do well on a physical fitness test, Things like that. Okay, that is what a biorhythm is. Hmm. Um, this one kind of confused the circadian rhythms with that, uh, but the circadians are actually different. Um, Boline, B-O-L-L-I-N-E. Uh, we've mentioned this a few times, especially with tools. Uh, this is the white-handled knife, the uh, thing that you use to carve. Um, stuff on candles and things like that. It is the um, one that you use to cut plants with. It is uh, the sacred sickle. Uh, it's also the burin, which is the next tool. Um, the the bowling uh, burin white-handled knife are sharp. They are supposed to be sharp because you're going to be cutting things with it. Uh, the athame, on the other hand, is only supposed to cut spiritually and energetically, so it is not sharp. Uh, you can literally, uh, well, one of the things that for the athame, uh, with it being dull, is there was a, a purpa in um, the, the shadow. 
uh, it's uh, a Buddhist knife that, in that movie at least, flew through the air and attacked people and has three faces and demonic looks and things like that. Uh, through investigation, however, the purpa is actually a tool in Buddhism, but it's more <laughs> used like a spirit tent stake. Yeah. You pin yeah. the ghost to the ground with the purba, it can't leave, and you can banish it or trap it or whatever. Okay. It's true. Tibetan Buddhism is a fascinatingly like elaborate practice. Um, the purba is just one of the nifty little knickknacks that comes along with that. Um, along the, with that, you get the dorji, which is the supposedly the symbolic lightning bolt of illumination and uh, enlightenment. And then they had a, the, a, a, a spirit sickle too that wasn't sharp. That was um, actually the spirit knife that you fought the the demons and spirits with, and I was like, "But it's not even sharp." I, and it's like, well, I know the one you're spirits. talking about, and I can't think what it's called. I can't either. But it doesn't have an edge on it. It's got uh, two ends, like on the perba. If you took the perba and you snapped off the triangular blade that's dull, you would have this thing. And this is the knife that you fight the the spirits with. I thought that was so cool. Oh, you're talking about the the dorji. The um, Dorji or Vajra. In in Hinduism, they call it the Vajra, but in Tibetan Buddhism, it's the Dorji, which is like the double-ended, sort of bulby-looking thing with, like, it it represents lightning, basically. Yes. yes. And it's, it's a pretty cool knick-knack, and I wanted to collect one, but then I was like, I don't know why I would have one. It's a sacred tool of another faith path. Um do I really it's want just that in my cool, house? though. The lore of it is so fascinating, and that's yeah. sort of why I would want one. Yeah, but... I wanted to get a Purba, too. Just because, you know, there's a, I do a lot of work on the astral, so there's times when I need to pin a demon in place so that I can fight the blessed thing. I wanted a Purba just because I saw the shadow and thought, that's cool shit. It, it flies through the air! It's got faces that can bite you! Well, because oh, wow. the shadow was one of my childhood heroes, right? Because he's, you know... Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? Only the shadow knows. And then you get into, like, psychology and Tibetan Buddhism in there, and it's like, oh, my God, why don't I know this? Yeah, and then uh, I saw museum replicas or somebody came out with uh, a purba that was based on that. It had a triangular blade, uh, three edges on it. It had the faces and everything, and I was like, oh, that is so cool. And then I went looking on it, and it's like, no, this is deliberately left dull because it doesn't cut anything here. It cuts everything on the spirit world. And I went, okay, those fuckers. <laughs> it's true. That movie left you completely disillusioned. Well, I mean, it was kind of cool. You, it really, it really was. was. I liked it. I mean, the the movie itself just got me interested in, like, astral projection and spiritual powers and and esoterica and stuff as a kid, so. Well, kids, anybody out there that's listening that wants to watch it, I will tell you from the beginning, it is a campy, stupid-ass-looking movie. Well, considering what it was based on, it was like a 1930s radio show or something like that, so. yeah. I mean, Unfortunately, it, it, there is a bit of comic book hokiness to it, but at the oh, same time... More than a bit. But it's very, very good for all the stuff that is that they have to put in there as adjuncts so that you understand the story. Okay, <laughs> The story is the main character uh, is a really bad guy. 
He goes to, uh, he's in Tibet, he's kidnapped, he's taken to a temple, he's taught to control his inner powers and his own inner mind, and to use that dark side of him as a force for good. And that is what the shadow is. The original uh, anti-hero. Yeah, essentially. And just in explaining all of that, it gives you enough of a starting point that if you dedicate yourself to it and if you practice, you can do the same thing. Now, you're not going to be able to fade into shadows. You're not going to be able to change people's minds just by looking at them and going, these are not the droids you're looking for. But you will, you will be able to, to change your attitudes. Because essentially what it's saying is that you can't control other people, but you can control how you react to it. Well, and that's kind of like the light side of the whole Tibetan Buddhist practice as well. Because, I mean, what happens with that is that the Japanese have esoteric practices of Buddhism where they are they, – they believe that you have the power to control other people and th to manipulate the world through your spiritual discipline. Um, Shingon and Tendai Buddhisms are – the esoteric practices, and there's a particular practice that comes out of Shingon called Mikyo-jutsu, which is kind of the spiritual practices of the Yamabushi, the mountains, the mountain ascetic warrior tradition, uh -huh. um, where they 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 basically train themselves to overcome physical limitations, and you know, in that. They, they also develop spiritual powers like, you know, mind control and all that sort of stuff. So, I mean, the, the shadow comes from a, a rather old tradition of esoteric Buddhism that talks about exactly those things. So. I was actually doing a bunch of meditations at one point, and I realized what all of the control others through your actions really boils down to. And what I found out was that if you can, in, in a situation, if you can eliminate what the other people's responses to what you do is, you're controlling them through your actions at that point. Yeah, if, it's a passive control effort. Um, yeah, and when I realized that, it was like, actually <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um because that's, that's basically the idea behind um, the ninja spiritual training as well, is that it trains you to overcome people by sheer strength of willpower kind of thing, to examine and manipulate situations um, well, it's to like work if, them in your favor. It's like if, okay, <clears throat> to take the ninja uh, idea... I'm a ninja. I'm trying to uh, eliminate this person over here. He's surrounded by guards. He's in his own home. If I shoot him, that's going to make a noise. That's going to expose my position. It's going to make force the guards to react. They're going to hunt me down. And they're going to find me. If, however, I shoot him with an arrow, they're not going to hear where I'm at. I'm not going to be immediately exposed. They'll still know something happened, and they will set up an intense perimeter trying to find me, it's possible I'll be exposed and won't get away. If I sneak in and club him, I have to get close to him. The guards could see me. I could get killed. If I sneak above him in the, in the rafters and dribble poison into his mouth while he's asleep, 
He just dies. The bodyguards don't know that I'm there. They don't react. I can get away clean. And it's that kind of control of other people's actions through what you do and limiting their responses to what you've done to a specific set that you want them to, to do. That's exactly. What it is. And it's like, wow. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you if you want to sort of read a book that touches on those kind of things outside of any sort of spiritual tradition, um, Sun Tzu's The Art of War actually mm-hmm. discusses that in detail. Yes, it's the yes. whole idea of active versus passive um, fighting. Yeah, and, so. when, and when you actually get it down like I did, because I, I was in the middle of an astral combat when I realized this, and I realized that if I moved a certain way, it would force my opponent to respond in a certain way, and if I eliminated choices that he had to make to respond, then I could get him into one position that I wanted to get him into to defeat him. And it was like, wow, this, this is just the greatest thing ever. <laughs> it really, really, really worked well. Anyway, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Enough tangenting. Uh, oh, burning... I love our, our little tangents, so. <laughs> burning times. Uh, you're going to hear about this all the time. What they generally are referring to when they talk about the burning times is the periods uh, about a hundred years where there was actual um, hot pursuit of witches in uh, Europe. Now... <clears throat> The Burning Times doesn't really refer to Salem, Massachusetts, nor no. does it refer to England. What they're talking about is um, after the Inquisition uh, happened in Spain, uh, the witch finders came out, uh, the Malleus Maleficarum got forged and published, and uh, secular authorities were given the authority to go in, accuse people of witchcraft, uh, torture them, confiscate their goods, and kill them. Okay. Well, and the big issue with the Malleus was that it became popular with both Catholic and Protestant, you know, groups because it allowed you to sort of torture and abuse people um, under the Christian influence, and it was just like that is the weirdest stuff because the guys who wrote it were like severely misogynistic. Um, a lot of what comes in that book is pretty kooky um as far as like the ways to identify witches um and unfortunately the burning situation didn't really happen throughout europe it, it sort of happened on continental europe um it in germany in, in spain and you know various places like that but it was not as widespread as you might have the impression it was um a lot England, of Okay, a lot. Of, sorry, a lot of people have a vested interest in making you believe that it was much worse than it was. Actual <coughs> statistics go from fifty thousand to about a hundred and fifty thousand people burned or killed for witchcraft uh, or something similar to it over a hundred-year period. What, well, they're trying, and... what they're trying to generally get you to believe is that nine million people died within a twenty-year period, which, if that happened. Europe would be gone. It's true. I mean, the reality of it is that a lot of the people who were burned during the times um, were burned for heresy. That was the the punishment for heresy, as opposed to, um, you know, being drowned or shot or 
any number of other things that you could be killed by. And in um, order to be a heretic, you had to be a member of the faith that was accusing you of heresy, so that automatically made you not pagan. Well, exactly. And the funny thing is, I mean, some of our most influential hermetic thinkers um, were put to the stake um, because they were exploring esoterica within the blanket of the Catholic Church. Um, Giordano, Giordano Bruno, for one, um, he was a great hermetic thinker in the Middle Ages, and he was put to the stake because he was exploring these ideas that were different from Catholic doctrine. Um, whereas you, you find in the same period uh, people like Hildegard of Bingen who were exploring her or hermetic thought, but were doing it within the constructs of the Catholic Church so that it didn't seem all that, you know, boogie-boogie, you know, scary. Um, I mean, Cervantes, the guy that wrote Don Quixote de la Mancha, he was uh, labeled as a heretic, was put to the Inquisition because he was exploring the idea that a man could be insane and, and running up against windmills and be a knight and be holy all in his own without the province of the church. You know. And yes, unfortunately we we have the the concept of tilting at windmills because expanding into modern thinking. <laughs> yes. Primarily yeah. Okay. It was... Cabochon. You're gonna hear this occasionally and I never knew what it was. It's actually spelled C A B O C H O N. Uh, I always thought it said carbacon. But uh, there's no R in it, and I'm slightly dyslexic. Uh, what that is is it's a cut and polished stone uh, in a rounded um, oval uh, shape. Um, if you make jewelry, you'll find a lot of that available online. Um, oh, yeah. Generally, it's what they do with the little scraps of gem that they have left over so that, that are still you know, decent enough to be sold. Um, it's a quick way to polish it up so that uh, they can sell maybe uh, a twentieth of a carat of an emerald uh, for five bucks. You know, and you've got mm. a gem quality stone, but it's a tiny little flake. Um, cardinal. Points. You get bigger ones in, um, like, in your typical gemstones and stuff too. Like, yeah. I've got an amethyst one that's pretty sizable and chunky. I was going to make something for my sister, but never got around to it. Yeah, I picked up uh, a dozen uh, diamonds, a dozen emeralds, and a dozen a dozen sapphires and a dozen rubies all at once for 20 bucks at one point. Um, nice. I think total weight between them is maybe uh, two points, which is one, two one-hundredths of a carat. I mean, it's just nothing. They're little tiny scraps. But, you know, I was able to use them in what I was doing. Um, cardinal point. Uh, the cardinal points are north, south, east, and west, just like on a compass rose. That's why they are cardinal. Um, they are usually marked on a circle, not necessarily, but sometimes it is. Uh, cartomancy. Uh, anything with mancy means magic using. Uh, cartomancy means magic using cards. Uh, numismancy is magic using coins. Uh, in this case specifically, uh, it's divination using cards. But that is a form of magic, so it's 
uh, considered a magic practice. Uh, catharsis uh, is anything that when you have this sudden enlightenment that just comes out of no place and smacks you upside the head. Uh, I don't know about y'all, but it always gets me in the weirdest times, sometimes in the shower, sometimes when I'm meditating, uh, most of the time when I'm on the toilet. <laughs> it's, just, it's just, oh, wow, that's something I never really considered. Wow. Okay, um, sensor. C-E-N-S-E-R. Sensor. It's a heat-proof container that you put uh, charcoal and incense into to make all the nice smoke. You know, uh, in Catholic high masses, when the priest is walking down the aisle and he's got this little purse and it's on fire and it's putting out all the smoke, the thing that he's swinging is a sensor. Okay? The stuff in there is incense. Uh, to sense something. C-E-N-S-E. That is a verb. It is the act of swinging this around something to have the smoke surround it and purify it. It's true. Uh, centering. Uh, this sounds like it's simple. You just find the center of something. This is actually the act of calming and stilling your own mind so that you are the most stable you that you ever can be. This is usually a criti crucial critical step that is done before magic, before uh, ritual, before ceremony to still your mind, to clear your mind, to get you focused on what you're doing right then. Okay? Uh, if you read Mercedes Lackey, uh, her Valdemar books gives a, a long-winded, very excellent detailed explanation of grounding and centering in basic Grounding is, centering is finding that still point inside of you and staying there. Grounding is when you attach to a similar stable point outside of you. Okay. Um, let's see. Chakra. Uh, if you don't know the word term chakra, shame on you. Uh, <laughs> chakra is an energy nexus on your body. There are seven major ones uh, going from the root uh, the, the kundalini, the root, the navel, navel um, the solar plexus. Solar plexus. It Heart, goes throat. sacral, which is like the root. Um, the next one up is sort of the, the loins. Yeah. Then it goes into solar plexus, heart, heart throat, throat, and pituitary, third eye, etc. Yeah, there's those seven. are the seven major. Those are the seven major ones. You'll see them, uh, colors of the rainbow. You always go from the crotch to the crown. Yes, because the idea is that it's climbing from the baser earth level to the spiritual heavenly level. Mm -hmm. um, and in traditional um, kundalini practice, um, where they use the chakras as part of development, the idea is that you're awakening the kundalini serpent which is coiled at the base of the root chakra um, and rises as you develop your your seven chakras mm -hmm. and it works uh, you could also use the uh, imagery of using um, the double helix um, you can use the uh, imagery of just different animals in different groups uh, Lupa did uh, an interesting meditation using the chakras, using um, totem animals um, for the different uh, chakras in the meditation and having them teach you about that chakra that they're part of. 
and it was really interesting when I read it. Um, let's see. Uh, channeling. Uh, channeling sounds like one of those things that everybody knows what it is, but in this case, what we're talking about is the spiritual channeling. This is you connecting with the universe and speaking ex parte from your navel uh, for the deities. This is what happens when uh, the moon gets drawn down or the sun gets drawn down into the holy person that's doing the ritual, and they are speaking uh, from the deities to whoever is around. Um, that is, they're channeling the, the, the goddess or god. Uh, they can do it with other spirits as well. Um, and that's what that is known as. Uh, Edgar Casey did it. Uh, What's-Her-Face did it with Seth. Um, there's all um, kinds of people... It happens that, in um, voodoo as well. Um, when they, when, when they're the ridden them, by... Yeah. When, when they're ridden by the Loa. They're yes. actually being, they're channeling the, the, the essence of that spirit. A lot of times channeling gets uh, confused with uh, a Polynesian um, practice where it's all very static and very quiet and very om and just, you know, very peaceful. Um, the voodoo ritual, which is exactly the same thing, like he said, where the lower writing are very Dionistic, uh, which is extremely hair-raising, jumping around. Uh, the people that start frothing at the mouth at the front of the snake churches uh, on Sundays are doing the same thing. They're channeling as well. Okay. Yes, actually, it brings to mind the concept, um, the dichotomy between Dione Dionysian and Apollonian spirituality. Because um, you, you kind of see in mainstream Christianity a very sit-down kind of... Apollonian groupish, yeah, it's a very Apollonian ordered system. Whereas you get into snake handler churches or you know voodoo or any number of other you know not so Christian practices, um, and they tend to be more Dionysian, and that freaks a lot of people out who are very you know focused on the ordered, calm sort of groupy rituals because that tends to be more of an individual experiential thing. Yeah, and if you um, want to, to find a, a really good explanation of the difference in the dichotomy between Apollonian and Dionysian, uh, pick up Stranger in a Strange Land. One of the characters in there named Jubal Hershaw talks about it extensively. That, it's a great book. Oh, yeah. One is not better than the other. One is not more wild than the other. One is not uh, more holy than the other. They're both the same thing, just flip sides of each other. Mm-hmm. And it's I mean, it's a very sensible thing. I mean, most any decent spiritual tradition will will ask you to explore both the sort of shadow and surface experiences, the the sort of expressed and unexpressed parts of yourself. Um it's it's all solar lunar, you know, god goddess, active passive, yin yang, etc. etc. It's all very much the same thing. Um, and that it's all from, just balance. Well, yeah, and it also comes from the human's need to have uh, um, a binary system for everything. I mean, one thing that I can say that uh, Eastern religions has really, really, really gotten right, and one of the reasons that I love Druidry so much is that it does away with binary and pulls in the trinary. 
which says that there is black, white, and gray. And there's all shades of gray. There is off, on, and maybe. There's there at is... least 50 shades of gray. Oh, God. I... Yeah. <laughs> I'm hurt you. <laughs> I've never read the book or seen the movie, so I just brought that up for no yeah, reason Mary, at all. Mary read all four of them, and she was she was hoping they would get better. They never did. They got worse. Uh, <laughs> That's what you should know ahead of time. Don't read them. Not worth it. Them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so you have uh, an entire range of everything. You don't have one or the other. Most Western religions have male or female. They don't have all of the other shades in there. Uh, Native Americans did. Um, Druidry does. Uh, it has uh, the concept of Awen, uh, the concept of the, the triune thought, which is, you know, black, white, and gray, um, where you have soul, body, and spirit, you know, so Cardinal, you've got all three. Mutable, and what was the other one? Um... That's an, those are three astrological terms, but yeah. there's cardinal signs, mutable, and the other one. <laughs> and I don't remember what it is. Passive, I, I think. I can't think of it. Is it passive? I don't think it's called passive, though. You know what? I'm going to Google it. <laughs> Go look it up. <laughs> okay, okay, so we're going... So we're moving three. on. <laughs> Charging. When you charge something, you do not plug it into a wall, unless it's an iPhone. You charge your amulets, you charge your athames and things by placing them in the direct energy of fill-in-the-blank. Because uh, <laughs> you can charge it with anything. You can charge it with any of the four elements. You can charge it with the akasha. You can charge it with uh, the, the sun, the moon, the stars. As long as it is in direct w contact with that energy that you're trying to charge it with. So if it's, you're charging it with the sun, you would leave it on the windowsill when the sun is shining through excuse me, shining through that particular window, and it would charge it with the solar energy. If you're charging it with earth energy, you would dig a shallow hole, maybe five inches deep, put it in there, cover it up, leave it there for a week, come back with it. If you're charging it with water, uh, you would obviously put it in some purified water for a while. Uh, that is how you charge that energy into whatever that magical tool is that you're using. Okay. It's true. And for the record, uh, those three terms are cardinal, fixed, and mutable. Ah, okay. And, okay, so, yeah. <clears throat> anyway, I don't do astrology, so I don't know. <laughs> Neither do I. I just always thought it was interesting, because Aries is the cardinal sign of fire, so I don't know. Then we have a term here that I've never heard before, and this is a new one on me. Uh, chat yo, chat yancy, chat o yancy, chat yancy. I can't say I've ever heard that one. Yeah, it's you know how you when you look at a tiger's eye, and you have all those ribbons inside of it, and you move it, and the, it kind of shifts around. That's what that is. It's having that property. <laughs> I'm assuming it has something to do with divining the future from the the way the ribbon changes color i don't know i do know that uh like within rutilated quartz where it's got those little threads in it that uh that is um that's called rutilated and it's it it uses it to multiply the energy that's going through it 
Um, hmm. But I've never heard uh, of Chatty Yancey for uh, Tiger's Eye and Moonstone uh, or, you know, Star Sapphires Probably or anything Opal, like that. Things Probably, like that. Yeah. I'm sure that... Or that... a shark skin suit. <laughs> or two-tone car paint. You know, whatever. It's okay. all the same thing. All right. We're moving on. <laughs> Chiriomancy. C-H-E-I-R-O. Mancy. Mancy is magic. In this case, it is the magic of the palm or palmistry. It is divination, doing divination uh, by the use of the palm. Uh, clairvoyance, uh, clairaudience, clairsentience, uh, clair, uh, whatever, clair, whatever. It yes, clair divi- something means clear, hearing, seeing, whatever. Yeah, clairaudience um, is clear hearing, clairvoyance is clear seeing, uh, clairsentience is clear knowing. Um, essentially it is the power to be able to sense things not directly around you. Okay, you know that over there in uh, the Kroger that's 10 miles away, somebody is walking down the aisle, a very pretty lady, and she picks up an item and she looks at it, and she shakes her head and puts it back and reaches down an aisle and and picks up the exact same item, just a smaller size, nods her head and puts it in her basket. It's knowing that. That's a total wild-eyed guess, but I'm sure somebody's doing it somewhere. (laughs) Obviously. But... That, but that is the, the ability to know what is at another place. Uh, he, uh, clairaudiency is obviously hearing it. Uh, clairsentience is knowing it. Clairvoyancy is seeing it. I'm sure they've got versions for tasting and smelling as well. I'm sure there's, and I know that there's a version <laughs> for uh, feeling it in your own body. Um, but any of those, clair, whatever, that's what it is. Okay. Uh, a come hither. A come hither is not the ratcheting thing that they use to tie down um, <coughs> stuff on trucks. It is a similar pr- uh, a similar concept, though. Uh, old granny term for a uh, attraction spell. You cast this. It is called a come hither. It brings whatever the spell is set up to bring to you. Okay. Mm. Um, cone of power. Uh, Wiccans are going to run into this term a lot, uh, probably not so much the other groups, but the cone of power we discussed uh, in the circle, uh, when you're doing a magic spell or a magic ritual, there's a lot of energy generated. A lot of times that energy is seen to flow upwards, uh, and it was lost uh, to the universe um, before somebody said, hey, well, let's use this for a spell. And then they came up with a concept called a cone, where they put a cone over the um, circle. The boundaries of the circle are the base of the cone. Everybody's dancing inside the cone. The energy is going up and collecting in the top. That is the cone of power. And you if you've it. seen Charmed, epi- uh, Season 3, Episode 1, All Hallowell's Eve, they explain that that's the origin of the witch's hat shape. I can see that, but actually the witch's hat comes from Hungarian ladies. In the Middle Ages, believe it or not, that's their national costume. Well, it's a nat- It's it's the whole idea originally was that um, country dwelling women, the ones who were witches by you know sort of design or by rit- or reputation, were out of fashion. So that what basically was happening was that if a pointy hat was in fashion in the cities, 
Um, it would take years for it to trickle out into the country, um, you know, as kind of hand-me-down fashion. And essentially the idea was that witches were always going to be out of step with, you know, the current trends because the, you know, poor country dwellers. So essentially the idea is that an old woman with a pointy hat was obviously a witch because she was too poor to be, you know, in, in keeping with the fashion of the day. Well, and the funny thing, too, is, I mean, fashion lasted so much longer in those days, too, right? Like, the same styles lasted for decades. Uh Whereas nowadays, it's like, oh, last year's clothing, you're completely out of date. What's wrong with Oh, my God, that outfit is so five minutes ago. (laughs) It's true. It's sad and weird, but... It is. Okay, um, corn dolly. It's uh, literally taking the husks of the corn as you're shucking it and fashioning it into a doll. We've talked about this before, using them for uh, your poppets, uh, for uh, sympathetic magic, things like that. That's what these are. They're they're human-shaped forms made out of corn uh, husks. Corn or uh, grain, actually. Yeah, uh, to represent a person. Uh, they were also used as children's playthings. So don't think because they were do- cheaper than making a doll. Yeah, I mean, every the uh, archaeologists started thinking uh, that the uh, goddess of Willendorf that everybody is like, ooh, this is a goddess figure. Ooh, ooh, look at her huge breasts and everything. Was actually just Raggedy Ann for the time period. It's <laughs> possible. I mean, it was pretty common. And it's they not found necessarily... them all. I mean, they found the first one in a privy. Who throws their goddess image into the toilet? <laughs> Obviously, anyway. somebody who doesn't need it anymore. Or something. Um, but if you've seen the old movie, um, The Wicker Man, the uh, re-release that they did a few years back with the old foot or with extended footage is way better than the original. Um, they actually have one corn dolly that sort of gets put into like every other scene. Um, <laughs> And so if you're going to watch the little corn dolly that reappears in every other scene in that film. Okay, so uh, next on the list is Coven. Now, we're not going to talk about Coven because everybody probably knows that that refers to the group of working witches. And it's not the actual group. It is the oaths they take uh, to work together as a convent or a, a, a covenant what we're going to talk about is the Covenstead and Coven Dumb. Um, this was explained to me in Buckland's Big Blue. Uh, it's not really so used these days. No. Uh, if the Coven is the group of working witches, the Covenstead is the main headquarters of the priest and priestess, uh, where they do all the ritual work and where everybody gathers for the celebrations. The Coven Dumb is traditionally three miles in a radius from the Covenstead around. And that, those, that's where the witches live in that come to that Covenstead to worship. Okay, And it's interesting that I haven't heard those terms in at least 20 years myself because they used the to be thrown around on bulletin board systems, yeah, early I mean, internet. The internet pretty much blew it away. I mean, when you have a, a, a witch that's working in... Tennessee, another one that's working in Ontario. Aren't you in Ontario? I'm in British Columbia. British Columbia. Okay, British Columbia, opposite side of the country. Uh, you have another one that's working in Pennsylvania. 
uh, another one that's over in Spain, all working together, you kind of don't need the idea of Covenstead and Covendom anymore. They're quaint notions, but realistically, it's hard to find enough witches to form a coven within a three-mile radius of your particular place. Yeah, especially with tra- modern transportation. I mean, it's it's good. It's a good way to you know denote the markings. And if you're going to a 101 class or getting uh, set up in the local pagan community, you may hear them, and it's good to know what they're talking about. Yes, and if you're involved in witch wars of any kind, you're going to want to stay within the borders of your territory. Yeah, Yeah, the, (laughs) the political scene... Go listen to the episode about uh, what it's really like out there, because <laughs> we talked about this extensively for a whole two hours. Um, True. Okay, a Cowan, Cowan, C-O-W-A-N, uh, is a person who is not a witch, or Wiccan, or a pagan. It is somebody that, it's a derogatory term. It's, um, it comes from, uh, I think... Some of the ROM uh, not- notions. It's a- along the lines of a gajo or a gaijin for Japanese. It's somebody that is not like you. <laughs> Probably. I mean, I haven't heard that term in ages either. I mean, Covenstead, Covendom, and Cowan were all terms that used to get used a lot. But I think, again, like you say, the Internet's kind of dispersed a lot of that. And it's not politically correct to point at people and go, oh, you're not a witch mm. kind of thing. So I tend not to have heard Cowan very often anymore. But you as, you know, as someone who was influenced by, like, Sybil Leak and, you know, um, who else? <laughs> like, a lot of the older, you know, granny trad type witches and traditional witchcraft in general... Mm-hmm. They tend to use that term more than modern Wiccans do. Yeah, and once again, you know, if <laughs> these are not just things for the internet, these are also things for physical life. So if you hear these, you're probably going to hear them in relation to a group of physical witches that you're at your pagan bookstore with. Um, that's where these are going to come in. Uh, curse. If you don't know what a curse is, I'm sorry. Uh, it's not just a swear word. It's an actual ill wish that you put on another. Um, I hope your periods are long and hard and full of cramps is a curse. May the fleas of a thousand camels infest your genitals is a curse. <laughs> you know, things like that. I hope you fall over and die, as many children would say to their parents. It's yes. a curse. Okay. And the whole idea of curse words is it's just basically used these days as, as kind of a a misunderstanding of the fact that words change over time. Fuck, shit, things like that. They're not mm-hmm. curse words. They're they used to be part of the normal English language in their day. Yep. Okay, two uh related terms, Diacil and Wittershins. Uh, these are still used very actively by a lot of people that I know, uh, and you need to know them. Diacil is sunwise or clockwise. Okay, If you have a sundial set up outside in your yard, and it is set up correctly, when the sun comes up, the, the shadow is going to fall to the left of the sundial, 
as the day progresses, it goes from the left to the top and then all the way over to the right as the sun sets. This is called sunwise because it is the way that the sun is moving on the sundial. It's not the True. way that it's moving in the heavens. It's the way that it's moving on the sundial. This is where we get clockwise from. Because if you think about it, a clock moves in the same motion. This is called diacil. Wittershins is the opposite. It is counterclockwise. It is um, anti-sunwise uh, or counterclockwise. Okay? So you got diacil and Wittershins. All right? Um, okay. Donut in clouds, it's a granny term. Uh, according to this, it's a mental exercise where you lay outside, you look, look up at a cloud, and you drill a hole in the cloud. You just make a hole open up. And you do it by your magic. I've never heard that one before. Neither have I, but it was on the list. <laughs> dowser. All right. A dowser. A dowser is somebody that finds things through the use of magic, generally by attuning themselves to it and moving until the resonances of that thing are near them. Okay. Um. Dowsing can be done by pendulum or stick or, you know, any number of things, too. It's it's not specifically a pendulum thing. Um, and a lot of people who are water witches will sort of run in fear at the term of magic because they believe that their their particular talent comes from God or what have you. Um, gift. You'll see a lot of dowsers these days instead of using the traditional uh, forked hazel branch. Uh, using a pair of metal L-shaped things that they hold very peculiarly in their hands and walk around until they make an X. That's true. Uh, <laughs> that is supposedly more accurate, uh, but the act of finding, doing that, becoming a, a human mind detector uh, <laughs> or metal detector, uh, is dowsing. The person doing it is a dowser. Um, drawing down. And the you're moon, supposed. Sorry, and you're supposed to be able to do or find more than water with that. You're supposed to be able to find treasure and gold and sting, you know things like that. Uh -huh. Yeah, there's a lot of people that do it. Uh, it's not a talent I ever decided to try to foster in me. Uh, it's probably something that I could do if I chose to. Uh, it's I don't really see much of a need for going out and finding where water is underground when I've got a tap in my kitchen. That's just completely ruining it all. Why would you do that? Um, uh, okay, moving on. <laughs> drawing down the moon. Uh, this is also uh, drawing down the sun. Uh, we mentioned them earlier. This is channeling uh, the deities. The moon, obviously, is the goddess. The sun is obviously the god. You <coughs> bring down their essence into you so that you can channel it to the people around you. Uh, it is also the ceremony to do so. Um, that's one thing that people don't really tell you about, that drawing down the moon and drawing down the sun into you is great, but that that's also the term for the ceremony, the ritual. Um, eclectic. A lot of people are, are confused about what eclectic is. Eclectic is taken from lots of different sources and stuck together. That's it's it. It's true. That's all it is. You take little bits and pieces from a lot of different places, you put it together into a cohesive unit that you feel comfortable practicing. That is eclectic. 
Yeah. Now, it's a syncretistic because, idea. Yeah, it's, and this is what everybody does all the time. We all go out, we pick and choose little bits that we find spark something in us. But if you're practicing mostly gardenerism and you pull in uh, a few pieces of ceremonial magic and you pull in a philosophy from um, Native American spirituality and the, the writings of one of the great chiefs, uh, and maybe you um, understand the center of Shinto and the honoring the spirits in the area, that is not eclectic. Okay, That is gardenerism with ceremonial Native American and Shinto aspects. The majority of your practice, if it's taken from one thing, it is that thing. Okay, You can put pieces from other groups into it. When it is a pure mishmash of everything, then it's eclectic. Okay, Try to keep that straight because there's a lot of people out there saying, oh, I'm eclectic, and then they go out and they practice straight fairy wicca. You know, and it's like, what? Yeah, the thing is, too, I mean, um, a lot of the older traditional witch or Wiccans used to be really down on eclectics um, because it, it sort of laughed in the face of the whole notion of, of tradition. Yeah, tradition and initiation and all that stuff because a lot of eclectics tend to identify themselves as um, not initiated so much as dedicated kind of thing. Um, so if you if you know people who are like hardcore Gardnerians or Alexandrians or what have you, then you're going to find that they tend to scorn the notion of being specifically eclectic types because they find that too loose and frivolous. Right. It The eclecticism is seen as bad because it's easy. Instead of going through the dedications and the rituals and the ceremonies to learn the mysteries of a specific tradition, you're taking little bits of everything and sticking it together. It's... There... <laughs> Um, I don't know if anybody out there reads Game of Thrones. There was a concept that was thrown out that in the really poor sections, they would have a bowl of brown, which is just anything they had <laughs> on hand, thrown into the stew pot, boiled up, water <laughs> added to it, and it would be served out. And you didn't know what was in it. You didn't know. You couldn't separate out flavors. It was just a bowl of brown. They mentioned that in the TV series, too. Yeah, I know. And it was, a, it was an interesting idea, and I went, wow, that's really good. That's pretty much what most people see eclectic as. It's a bowl now of brown. I, <laughs> now I want to, like, host a big friggin', like, Samhain feast or something. <laughs> just serve, oh, yeah, we're just going to serve bowls of brown tonight. <laughs> Don't worry about it. I mean, we could go all elaborate and do a pork roast and shit, but nah. Tonight's a bowl of brown. Bowl of brown. You're fine yeah. with it. <laughs> Mary and I call it, that's that's either a scromlet if you have eggs in it, uh, or a uh, fridge-clearing stew. I mean, it's the same basic thing. You take everything that's in there, everything that's old, everything that may have withered and wilted, but the nutrition's still in there, and it's still food. You put it all together, and, you know, you've got this glop. Stone soup minus rock, basically. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and But, yeah, that's eclectism to a traditional. 
Now, what the traditionals are never going to say is that if you are dedicated to the eclectism, if it works together and you can explain it so that it works together, if it does have deeper meanings to you, if there is some symbolic elements in there, and you actually live it rather than just professing it, most traditionalists will come around and go, okay, your eclectism is all right. And they'll leave you alone after that. But you have to invest the time, the effort, the research, the skull sweat, and the soul sweat to get to that point. There has to be something at the bottom when you scrape the very bottom of the pot. It's true. Okay. Um, and I mean, realistically, too, if you look back into the history of modern Wicca, it originated with kind of a bit of eclecticism on its own. So yeah. Yeah. if someone shits no on you talk. for being a non-trad, then they don't know their own history or they're not willing to accept the truth of their own history. Most are using it to feel superior. Yes. Um, in my experience. I mean, and that tended to be why I was kind of, a, you know, drawn as a kid to Gardnerian um, was the fact that it seemed such an elitist thing. Yeah. But, you know, the more you learn, I mean, the less appeal there is in, in being such an elitist. Well, that's what pulled me to say X Wicca so hard is that Buckland makes absolutely no bones about it. This is a created tradition. I made up ex officio from my ass. Um, and it's based on principles from Gardnerian. It's not the same as Gardnerian. These rituals my wife wrote, and we put them down in a book. Here you go. You know. Well, and I think the reality is that <laughs> anyone can do that. Like, with the basic um, sort of skeleton of Wicca... You can cobble together whatever kind of tradition you want. And as long as the basic idea is that as long as it works and that you eventually come to a point where you can pass it down to someone else, then it becomes a tradition on its own. So, you know, you could call it chicken scratch Wicca or whatever, and it would still be a legit tradition because you passed it down to someone else. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to skip a few here. Uh, empath. Um, this is an older term for somebody that uh, has an extrasensory perception in regards to emotions. People that can walk into a room and tell that this person, that person, and that person are happy, uh, even when they're not displaying anything on their face, and that this person over here is <coughs> crushingly depressed, and they're drawn to those people and try to cheer them up, they, are, they tend to be seen as empaths. Okay. Um, ephemeris. Uh, this is one of those astrologic, astrological things, but it's also an astronomical thing. Basically, it's a book of charts for the positions of various celestial bodies, okay, uh, per date. And you usually get ephemerises for specific years, and it will give you the, the position on an astrological chart where each celestial object is during that year. So you're not going to find a comprehensive ephemeris uh, because, you know, that would be 2,000 books at that point or more. Um, so generally you just buy the one that's around the year that you're looking up for the person that you're doing the reading for. 
It's true. That's one of the reasons that I didn't ever get into astrology, actually, was because of the the whole concept of collecting ephemerises. It just seemed like, really, I don't want to buy a book of, of details for one year that, you know, this one person might ask me once. Yeah. But I know that the big blue, um, uh, shit, Buckland's big blue says, you know, to be a real Wiccan, you have to learn astrology. And I'm like, uh, or not. <laughs> Sorry, it's just not something good that response. appeals to me. <laughs> no, it's a good response. I mean, I don't know astrology. Uh, I know the basis of it. Uh, I have respect for astrology simply in the natal charts. Because my theory is this. There have been literally millennia of observations that this that they see in the sky correlates to this way of being. And given that, I'll accept astrology as legitimate, given that people are still individuals and still going to screw up, okay, for the majority of it. Now, what the hell um, Vesuvius on Io orbiting Saturn uh, on this date... Uh, 25 years ago, why that relates to I'm going to find $10 on the street tomorrow, I have no earthly concept, and could care less. Well, that's the big thing, right? It seems such an elaborate thing to sort of calculate like the next day's thing. But I suppose that tends to be why most magazines and stuff sort of publish these generic, meaningless little... um, so-called blurbs you know yeah whatever you want to call them um horoscopes one of the things that i started looking at really closely if you read through them they're so generic that literally if you took out the taurus and the dates and everything and just left it with the prediction it would apply to anybody no matter which exactly the problem i mean the it's basically about mashing your own experience into the horoscope so that you can say, hey, that's accurate for today. Um, that's it. That's it. Newspaper horoscopes are the ultimate cold read. Basically. It's not like it even takes an effort. I bet you if you looked at like the the the, 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 the horoscopes for, say, a 10-year period, and you just sort of compared them and took out all the sign stuff... That you basically see them using the same horoscopes for different signs in different years. Quite possibly. Because I can't imagine that there's, you know, like someone going, hey, let's create this thing. And it's exactly the same wording for, you know, three years ago when we did it for a different sign. I, <laughs> I just imagine there's kind of a template and people are just like tossing it into the air and going, okay, this is Aries today, and this is Leo. <laughs> Throw a dart at a dartboard. Okay, the Aries is feeling uh, depressed, okay, and Taurus is uh, depressed, and Capricorn is joyful. <laughs> exactly, and Virgo is going to find $20 in his pants today because <laughs> he forgot they were there or something. You know, okay, having said the the term, now we've got now I've got to explain it. A cold read is uh, a terminology used in um, any 
uh, circle that does predictions: astrology, astronomy, uh, tarot, tarot, any number of things. Any number of things, any of them. It is the uh, ability to stand up in front of somebody and, with no prior knowledge of them, uh, give them a reading that is accurate on them simply by watching their responses. Okay? Um, all of the psychics that are on TV, uh, what the hell, Chris Evans, I think? No? No. What is um, The guy that does the. Um, past life your 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 family members are here with you um, oh god von prague used to do that and the biggest douche in the universe Edwards? yeah <laughs> the that that reference is from um pen and teller's bullshit which was a great series i own the entire series um, um well also south park <laughs> Probably, um, but yeah, it's it's the ability for me to look at you and John without Edwards. knowing it's John, John Edwards. Edwards. That's it. It's it's me saying, okay, you have a person that recently died in uh, your life who cares about you very much. They had uh, something that happened in their lifetime that was extremely traumatic, and it has something to do with a weapon of some kind. And they did this, that, or the other with it. And based on how you are reacting, while I'm saying that, it either tells me that I can elaborate on this point uh, because you're doing a positive reaction, or to drop it and move on to something else that's just as generic. Everybody has somebody in their past that died. Everybody has somebody in their past that they cared about. Everybody has somebody in their past that had something to do with a weapon. Okay. Well, and the thing, too, is that with cold reading, I mean, there are certain things that you can discern about someone based on their particular style of dress or the, you know, the, you know, whether they've got piercings or tattoos or they've got um, calloused hands or they've got really soft, delicate hands or, you know, Ooh, et cetera, perfect, et cetera. A, a master of cold reading. If you ever want to uh, really learn how to do cold reads, Sherlock Holmes. True. He picked up on tiny little clues on the person themselves and would be able to accurately <coughs> tell them what was going on. That's why the series Psych works so well, because doing those same minute observations is the exact same thing you have to do for a cold read. Yeah, deductive reasoning. I mean, it's piecing together things based on the evidence that you have presented. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not any special power. I mean, anybody can do it. This is why anytime you go to anybody that does any kind of predictive anything, be it palmistry, uh, I Ching, um, tarot cards, or whatever, take it all with a huge fucking salt pan. Because it's true. most likely, you're giving off clues you don't even know you're giving off. Yeah, a lot of it is nonverbal communication. Um, the better you are at it, the easier it becomes to cold read people. Mm -hmm. um, and there are some people who have deceived themselves into believing that they are you know, like better than they are at their you know particular mancy, um, just Geller. because. Yeah. Yeah, Yuri Geller, John Edwards, um, James yeah. von Prague. <laughs> Um, they all think they're far better at what they do because they mastered cold reading. Um, but, you know, that's kind of where you want to be careful about uh, how much you're spending when you go see a, a reader or whatever. 
um, because some of them are just in it for the money and they they don't actually have any belief in or interest in what they're doing to earn that and money. they're not trying to help you. They're trying to take you for all the money that they can soak you for. It's true. That's why a lot of people – and it, it used to bother me because I had people in the past who would come to me for – like various and sundry readings um and they would keep coming to me and i I started realizing there was a lot of dependency in their behavior and it, it you know suddenly they weren't making their own decisions they were constantly consulting me about whether it was safe to make a decision and i was like mm, we're gonna stop this now because i'm arthur not arthur and the catcher <laughs> Arthur the Cootie Catcher. No, no idea a, what that is. Uh, Channel uh, Channel Eight PBS here in the states had a uh, cartoon for kids uh, called Arthur the Aardvark, and it was a book series. They turned it into a half-hour uh, cartoon show, and one of the episodes had him uh, with you know the the Cootie Catcher, the thing that you the piece of paper that you fold up, you make four sides with it. You have one, you have them labeled one, two, three, four, and then you, you know, open it this way and open it that way and open it this way again. That's what those were called. I never knew that. That's what those are called. And then you pick one of the things that's on the inside and then you open it that many times. And then you pick another one that's on the inside and you, you unfold it and read what's in there. That's another predictive thing. And yes, that is called a cootie catcher. And, (laughs) At the end of the episode, everybody got involved with this one girl that had this, and it was just you know so wonderful and neat, and it was accurately predicting things. And Arthur uh, wound up getting it and believed it so hard that he was asking you things like, should I go to bed in an hour? Well, how about two hours? Well, should I take a bath in the morning or now? Uh, should I eat? <laughs> it just got ridiculous, and then the episode closed and lesson learned. <laughs> <laughs> I I never knew Arthur was an aardvark. I I I know of him, but I've never actually been under the impression that he was an aardvark at all. Well, that's what it says on the main graphics, so <laughs> that's all I can tell you. Clearly it's a stylized aardvark because I never knew. Well, they had stylized rabbits too, so you know. Anyway, Oh god, um, I remember that. Anyway, Okay, ephemeris, and now into equinox. Equinox is equal night. It is Latin for equal night. Equinox. It happens twice a year. Vernal equinox and the autumnal equinox. It happens in spring and autumn. Okay? It is uh, when the days and the nights are absolutely the same length. Okay? You have 12 hours, whatever, of light. You have 12 hours, whatever, of dark. Okay? Yep. Um... It's uh, one of the minor uh, Sabbaths. It's not a fire festival. That's the major Sabbaths. Um, the opposite of the equinoxes are the solstices. Okay, which the comes from the Latin of sun staying still. Yep, it is when it is the longest day or the longest night, and that happens at Yule or Astara, one of the two. Okay, the, it's interesting that the fire festivals, the the important celebrations come between those the the equinox and the solstice or between the solstice and the equinox but there's no celestial marker for them but the equinoxes and solstices are the minor sabbaths i always thought that was interesting you have an actual celestial observable phenomena 
and that's the minor celebration? Well, I think that's because they were simply part of the Earth's natural cycle. So the other four had to be calculated based on, you know, previous knowledge of when the solstices and equinoxes were coming. So you kind of, and I remember when I was starting out, um, that I, I got into the habit because of some author or other that said, you should calculate based on how many days there are between the, you know, spring equinox and the summer solstice, and then divide those in half and find the middle day. And it may not be on, you know, August, uh, not August 1st, um, May 1st, it may be on May 6th or something, but that's when you would celebrate Beltane kind of thing. Um, And it became a really sort of common thing for me to do that for like a couple of years, and I just got bored of it because I was like, (laughs) I don't want to count every single day and then divide by two. So. Okay, uh, fetch. A fetch is a spirit apparition. Uh, Essentially what the fetch is is it is considered to be part of a person's soul, and uh, in cases of where it's completely disembodied, it's a ghost. Okay, um, but it is... Uh, take your soul. Now shift it about a foot outside of your body. That creature that's standing outside of the body is the fetch. Okay, it's still part of you. But it's detached enough that you can see everything in third person now. Like you're in a third person shooter. Uh, you see the back of your head. You can move around see the front of your body. You can see, you know, the, the scenes around you, not just what your blinders have you seeing. That's a fetch. Uh, Fae is uh, elf-like. It is um, fairy-like qualities. Um, Usually, it's also used to, let's see, describe somebody who is not altogether in this world. Somebody that's somewhat otherworldly. A derogatory version of that would be Space Case, but it's it's kind of the person who's like... Luna. Who's really in tune with things. Luna Lovegood would be a, a good... Yeah, Looney. She would be a very good example of that. She's not example. altogether here, but she's not entirely out there either. And, and some of what she says the, is actually... And she comes up with the greatest things just out... Come along, Daddy. Harry doesn't want to talk to us right now, but he's too polite to say so. You know, and it's just like, damn. <laughs> because she's she's attuned to like more than her own perspective on things. Mm-hmm. And that does make people a bit loony. Yeah. I mean, and they do seem like that. So It puts everybody around them off because they feel uncomfortable interacting with this person. Because this person is, is slightly detached from the reality of this world, and we're all tightly attached to this world. And so she's kind of like there and not there and around, and what is she going to do now? <laughs> Anyway. It's true, and I think that's one of those personality things that a lot of people find very annoying, even, because, you know, they they seem out of it, but they sometimes are very insightful when they, you know, say something. Mm-hmm. Oh, I loved Luna as a character. She was <clears> my favorite. 
everybody loved Ron or loved uh, Hermione or loved uh, Harry. I loved Luna. She was just fantastic. You know, because when she put her foot down, she really put it down. And you went, excuse me? You know, Harry Potter, you listen to me right now. And it's like, okay, I'm listening. You need to come here. Come on. Well, and I think the fact that she was the one who knew that you could only see those, um... Yeah. The, I want to call the, those demon pegasus, because I can't <laughs> remember the name, but... Um, the fact that she could see them was, you know, and she understood why she could see them. It was like, oh, wow, that's pretty fucked up, because mm. nobody else would have realized that, really. Nobody else could see them, you know. Well, anyone who had been touched by death in their lives could see them, technically. Mm-hmm. And Luna understood that that was the reason they could see them. But most everyone else was like, wait, what? Why? And it makes you wonder if there really was a crinkle horn, whatever in the hell. Exactly. <laughs> Because she's saying that there's, you know, this invisible horse that looks like a demon horse that eats meat, and they're really nice, and you can see them when you, you've been touched by death, and turns out, yeah, you really could. <laughs> true. Because, anyway, I mean, yeah, let's go on. <laughs> yeah, five-fold kiss. Uh, this is a term that is typically um, specific to Gardnerian-derived uh, traditions. Uh, it is uh, five kisses in the shape of a pentagram on the body uh, as a way of worshipping the goddess. Uh, typically, it is lips, le- uh, right knee, uh, left shoulder, right shoulder, left knee, and then lips again. Or, it can be genitals, um, left ear, or genitals, right ear, left breast, right breast, left ear, genitals again. You're drawing a star. Okay, and it is a rite, it is an initiation rite, um, and it's, it's part of the ceremony. So if you hear this term, unless you're being invited to participate in it, don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, really. It's, it's kind of something that you'll probably have to learn if you have to go through it. But most times, most people will never, ever hear that. Um, I will tell you one time, I was on uh, AOL in one of the pagan chat rooms, and I was pretending to be a a 10-year-old who was homesick for the day. And I mentioned a five-fold kiss in there, and the adults went apeshit. They were like, who told this child about this, and why does she know about it? And it's like... My mommy and daddy are in a coven, and so am I. And I'm there, and they do the five-fold kiss, and it's beautiful. And it's like... <gasps> yeah, I mean, a lo- the thing is, though, that a lot of people place an age limit on Wiccan traditions because of the fact that they honor the body as sacred. Um, and that, I mean, that's going to be a whole discussion, probably. But... The reality is, I mean, if you honor the body, um, the fact that your child happens to have a body is probably going to be contradicted if they, you know, see you reacting differently in public than in, you know, your private rituals. Um, Our family is our domestic nudists Um, at home. The only reason we have clothes on is because we're cold or there's somebody coming over. Other than that, you know, we're in our skin. 
and it doesn't bother me, doesn't bother Mary, doesn't bother our daughter. She grew up with it. It's like, oh, male genitals, okay, whatever. She's seen me, you know, in every state that you can possibly imagine. She's seen Mary in every possible state that you can imagine. She's walked in on us when we were having sex at one point, and she was like, oh, and turned around and left, you know. We've walked in on her while she's having sex, and it's like, oh, and then we turned around and left, you know. And it was no big deal. We didn't scream about it. We didn't get upset because that's part of life. Yeah, yeah okay. exactly. <clears throat> um, all right. Um, Firth, F-R-Frith, F-R-I-T-H, okay. According to this list, it's an old Norse word meaning peace uh, yeah. or wizard. That's typically how it's um... – I don't know why the, the word wizard is in there. Um, typically, modern ousetry use the term in frith when they're signing out of a letter or email. Um, it means in peace. Ah, so it's the, the pagan version of namaste. Yeah, it's basically the idea of um, or shalom. in the order of it, – it's like – it's not necessarily peace, but more like order, ma'at in the Egyptian term. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just kind of an extension of that, you know, wishing everything falls into place in its proper order kind okay. of deal. All right. Well, that's good to know. I didn't know that. Um, here's another archaic term that you may not hear all that often, but I think you probably might run into it, is Jessith. Okay, this is a beginner who's studying witchcraft, as opposed to the Cowan, who is a non-Wiccan, non-Pagan, not studying I've honestly never heard that term before. Well, I've actually heard it simply because it's a common term in uh, Sax Wicca for anybody just starting out. Uh, typically, it's used to relate to people that are going to the Wicca 101 classes at the local pagan bookstore, but who haven't been initiated or haven't decided to stick with one uh, oven or not. Okay. Uh, or one tradition. They're kind of feeling everything out. They're learning. They know some. They know just enough to be really, really dangerous, but to, you know, not know anything at all. <laughs> you know what I'm noticing at this point? What? We're almost two hours in, and we are not halfway through this list yet. I yeah, think I this might be a longer show than normal. I think so. <gasps> oh, my God. Well, you want to do the begging section? Before we sign out uh, for this two hours? Are we going to do it in two parts? I think that might be better. Uh, we might even do it in three. Okay, fair enough. Because um, we're about a third of the way through this list. <laughs> it's been two and, hours. I mean, we could go tangents for tangents, and I could insert all kinds of crazy alchemical terminology in there, and we could go on for hours. Actually, I think probably... Based on some of the things we skipped in this list, I suspect we probably will do an alchemy show that you know we address all those terms in. Probably. Because, yeah, I mean, I could go on for a while with just alchemical stuff. <laughs> it would be a all little right. weird. So let's do the, the, the begging and the sign out, and then we will record a part <clears> two, <throat> um, either after we get done with this one or at another time, depending upon your schedule. My schedule's pretty open today. So's mine. So we'll we'll record part two right after this. <laughs> that makes good sense. All right. Um, yeah. So, folks, um, you've noticed that Joy and I do these shows. Um, we do a couple of hours, you know, per episode, or try to. 
And we don't really take a salary out of these shows. Um, we've got some donors who cover our basic expenses, and we appreciate those, oh, and yeah. we love them. Um, you know, if you feel like our show is worth donating to, by all means, feel free. Um, we do appreciate donations, however small, because they cover even, you know, a tiny portion of our monthly expenses, which are, you know, webs, web address and, you know, storage space and so on and so forth. Um, and while those expenses are really low, I would like to be able to give uh, guests that come on the show something for being there. Yeah, a stipend would be really classy, um, considering that, you know, we do take time out of our, you know, out of their lives for them to be on our shows. Um, and I think it would probably redress a lot of um, unintentional insult that may or may not occur. Um, yeah. Because sometimes scheduling does get a little hectic and yeah. we tend to want to do certain things or, you know, expect more out of a guest than they perhaps were intending. So a stipend would probably defer or defray some of their time as well. So you know, most podcasts that I've listened to are only about a half an hour long and it's one person talking and, you know, a, a one hour show is almost unheard of. Two hours, you know, is asking a lot of investment from you guys, the listeners, but it's also asking for a huge investment from anybody that we bring on the show. I don't mind talking about this because God knows I could ramble on for hours true. about these things. <laughs> and I have. I mean, when you consider that this is the 23rd show, we've got two hours <laughs> per on, up on the website, plus all the tarot talk, plus, you know, a couple shows that we've recorded and I've edited but haven't been published because we want to have something in case there's, you know, scheduling messes up and we don't, we can't record anything immediately. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's what, two, three, four hundred hours now that we're talking about? That is pretty close to how much we've done, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I mean, we find guests who are really kind of eager to, you know, talk, um, we had Galina Kraskova on back in 2013, I think it was. She just and she, she and we had a lot of fun. We probably could have gone on for a hell of a long time with her. Um, we've had other guests, unfortunately, who were restricted in their time. So due to technical problems, we weren't able to record the show properly in the time that we had arranged. We're, we've had to reschedule. Um, but again, you know, we're asking their time to participate in our shows because it, it's not always convenient to have them meet during our normal recording time, which is noon Pacific and 2 p.m. Central. Central. Yeah, on Mondays. Um, most people on Mondays, are, you know. which, yeah, it doesn't really fit everyone's schedules. So um, if we're going to ask them to spend some of their time it would be nice to be able to give them a stipend um, to say, you know, we really do appreciate that you've given us our, your time and so on. Um, on top some, of the you know, money aspect. <laughs> um, with some, it might be nice to say, sorry, we screwed up the scheduling. You know, <laughs> sorry, true. here's money. <laughs> it's true. That really would be a nice gesture as well. I'm, you know, a gesture of apology or, you know, what have you. Um, 
But beyond the money thing, which, I mean, as much as we don't tend to discuss it at length, um, it is an important issue. Um, if you do have any that you want to spare for us, please, by all means, donate. Um, aside from that, though, we do need something more from you than just money. And it it's the thing that makes or break any you know, makes or breaks any show, um, podcast or otherwise. Um, and that's feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, Brian at magicalmusings.net or Joy at magicalmusings.net. Um, we want to hear whether you like our show, whether you hate it. Um, if you've got show ideas or subjects you want us to touch on or you know, authors you know who might be interested in getting on our show for a while or, you know, if you, I don't know, if you have anecdotes you want to share um send us an email uh comment on the episode we've got uh wordpress running magical musings on every single page every single episode every single article we put up there are comment boxes at the bottom please if you don't want to send us an email if it's something that you want to share with the general public just put up there you know good job on this i really learned a lot uh you suck and i i hate your show uh you know you got this term all wrong please please i'm begging you yeah exactly i mean if there's something that we only vaguely touched on that you might know more about feel free to post a comment on the episodes um you know check out our, our our website, Magical Musings, no K in magic, um, dot net, is all one word. You know it. Yeah, it's all one word, and we we have all our old shows on there, tarot talk, and so on. Um, so you can check us. You know, check what we've been up to the past couple of years. Because um, mm-hmm. Joy and I have been doing this for fuck two years now, something, something like. like that, and. We've had a blast doing it. Um, I've loved it. I've loved every minute. I have not regretted great. this from the beginning. No, it's an absolute blast. Because, um, I mean, it it emerged out of my old uh, podcast on Blog Talk Radio, which I thought occasionally about reviving, but had nothing to say. So we'll <laughs> probably not talk about that anymore. Anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, so, I mean... It it became a a thing where I you know asked for someone to bring a, a tarot reader onto the show so that we could talk and then it became tarot talk and then it became you know a few experimental episodes of various other titles and then it became magical musings and here we are mm-hmm. so um, all of that we've done voluntarily um, it you know it's cost us in time. Um, for research, for you know, recording each show, for in Joy's case, the editing and posting of each show, um, etc. So, while we're not taking salaries from the show, um, it would be nice to be able to do so, especially since I'm out of work. So, <laughs> yes, and also it, speaking. In that sense, um, if you happen to be interested in getting a tarot reading, you can still hit Joy up for one of those, too. I don't um, do cold reads, by the way. <laughs> well, no, it's it's difficult to do cold reads over, over like, the internet. Yeah, I try. See, one of the things with cold, and this is uh, another tangent within inside the tangent, another thing with the cold readings is that 
you're getting active feedback, you're seeing the person, you're giving general statements. If they start giving very specific statements um, with uh, your mother said this or that to you, that's when you know it's not a cold reading. But if they're saying things like there's somebody with a K in your life that uh, wants to talk to you and then you supply the name Karen, they're going to latch onto that and say, oh, yes, Karen wants to talk to you. You know, because you supplied that. Um, if you ever get the chance, take a look at the Penn and Teller episode where they discuss. Was it ESP? I can't remember which episode it was, but they talk about the problem of the faker cold reader types. Um, well, the the great Randy was is well known for busting those kinds of things, and he actually took a astrological chart. That, that somebody did a natal chart up for like 20 students in this classroom and he you know passed them out according to who got what and the, it was actually cast and it was all written down and everything and they read through it and it's like yeah this is really accurate this is this is me all over and he said okay now hand it to the person behind you person at the back of the row bring yours up to the front person now read it and every single one of them was like yeah this is really accurate man I, I can't believe this <laughs> you know it's so, true he did that. He does that all the time. He's, he's actually offering, I think it's up to $2 million, his trust uh, for anybody that can actually prove through whatever series of experiments you want that it's not random chance that you're getting this impression or that impression or whatever. As long as it's under controlled circumstances in laboratory conditions, you can devise your own test. Um, but yeah, basically he's offering millions of dollars out of his own pocket or out of his own trust fund or whatever to anyone who can prove that he who can do something that he cannot disprove yeah um but anyway um so yeah that was part one of uh a multi-part episode on terminology um we're gonna end up doing another part probably still covering only another third of the list we'll have to see well we're gonna try <laughs> we'll see how we go with that um, but right. you guys you enjoyed this episode we thank you for joining us um, join us next episode and we will continue the list yes we will and see you then see you